Blog Talk Radio. You're listening to Starseed Radio Academy, empowering Starseed to better serve the planet. Welcome to Starseed Radio Academy. It's Tuesday, February 12, 2019, and I'm your host, Ariel Taylor, with my co-hosts, Lavendar <coughs> and Anastasia. Excuse me. <clears throat> Our next two Starseed Quests to Arkansas are March 15th through the 18th for the Spring Equinox Athena's Birthday, and then May 17th through 20 for Pleiadian Lineup. This is a soul group reunion, and all star seeds with at least one star marking at galactic degree are welcome. There are only a few spots left for both events, so if you feel the call of the crystals, please write to crystals at starseedhotline.com for more info. Our special guest this evening is Dr. Barbara Hung, who obtained her Ph.D. from Columbia University in addition to three master's degrees. She is a three-time recipient of the prestigious Senior Fulbright Scholar and has been appointed by the U.S. State Department Bureau of International and Information Programs as a speaker specialist and expert on disability, consulting with ministries of education around the world. She's been a professor for more than 16 years and has taught in four states and now in Hawaii. Her research has been cited in major handbooks, Library of Higher Education, University Recommended Readings, and various institutes of education library. She's a recipient of the Teacher of Honor Award, University, University Exemplary Faculty Award, Advisor for the Oxford Educational Research, Board of Directors for the Council for Exceptional Children, a Certified Special Educator, Principal, and Administrator. Tonight she'll be talking about her book, Failing Up, a professor's odyssey of flunking, determination, and hope. She recently worked as the education specialist for the Virginia Fairfax County Government, Department of Family Services, and Institute of Early Learning. Currently, Dr. Hong is a professor and program coordinator of special education at Brigham Young University in Hawaii. You can visit her website, which is barbarahong.com. At the top of the show, it's Anastasia's Starseed News, bringing topics of interest to Starseeds that you won't hear in the mainstream. And we'd like to thank Kathy and Jada for hosting the switchboard tonight for those who may have a question or comment for our guest. We have an online Starseed community at starseedhotline.ning.com, and it's a safe place to connect with other Starseeds thanks to Tammy's helpful dedication. You can download our shows on iTunes or right here on Blog Talk. And if you'd like to show your support of our program, please, all you have to do is click follow on our page here, and you'll get our weekly show notices if you enable those notifications. Our main website is starseedhotline.com. Our Stage 1 Starseed confirmations are based on Lavendar's discovery of star markings in your natal astrological chart, and the Stage 2 session is a one-on-one phone session available with Lavendar, Anastasia, or myself. And if you have a birthday coming up, don't miss out on your 10 hours of power. You can find out when it happens by requesting your solar return timing. And if you want a Stage 2 interpretation of that chart, please order it four months ahead of your birthday to make sure you get it before your 10 hours because we do have a waiting list. So first up tonight, I'd like to introduce Anastasia with her fascinating Starseed News. 
Hey, Anastasia. Hey there, Ariel. Good evening, everybody. Great to be with you. It's a cold night where I am, and winter is still, we're still in the throes of it, but spring is just around the corner. We have some geomagnetic unrest possible this week. Solar wind flowing from a south solar hole, south polar hole, excuse me, in the sun's atmosphere might graze Earth's magnetic field on Valentine's Day, the 14th or possibly even the 13th. We'll see what happens with that. And there are five most active volcanoes in the Indonesian archipelago that are are rumbling right now. The eruption of little-known volcano Mount Karangatang in northwest uh, Sulawesi has added to the list of active volcanoes that have recently awakened, home to more than 230 million people there in Indonesia. That country has more than 120 volcanoes, 20 of which have been considered to be the most active, and five of the most active volcanoes that have had some sort of cautionary activity recently would be Mount Karangatang, Mount Agung, Mount Merapi, Mount Cinnabung, and Mount Anak Krakatoa. Excuse me. So that that uh, chain of islands is so geologically active, and five right now are uh, have alerts associated with them. And in Costa Rica, the Poas volcano has registered an overnight eruption that closed their national park and sent a column of ash. 200 meters above the crater. This happened yesterday morning on Monday. And in Lake Tahoe, wow, do they have snow and more snow. A winter storm dumped over three feet of snow at some Lake Tahoe ski resorts over 24 hours this weekend. And according to Squaw Valley's snowfall tracker, the resort has recorded 393 inches of snow Uh, at 8,000 feet, which is about 33 feet of snow. Oh, my gosh. No, more than the height of a house. Wow. And uh, there has been winter storms in Hawaii, uh, also with record high waves, flooding extreme winds, and again, rare snow. They're telling us this is an extremely powerful winter storm that's now pulling away from Hawaii after unleashing damaging winds, massive waves, coastal flooding, and snow in unusual places, which Hawaii is an unusual place, although they do have some on the tops of the mountains occasionally. Well, the storm, which the National Weather Service uh, in Honolulu has described now as historic, began pounding the islands on Friday. And forecasters are calling this an unprecedented event. The storm's most extreme wind was generated on the Big Island's towering peak of Mauna Kea, where 191-mile-per-hour uh, wind gust blasted the mountain summit on Sunday. And forecasters tell us that that is the strongest wind gust ever seen up there, that they might get a gust of maybe 150 miles per hour once each winter or so, but never 191 miles per hour. And in Hokkaido, Japan, they have a record cold of minus 24 centigrade, very cold. They say that it was brought on by an air mass of uh, temperatures that gripped this uh, country on Friday, causing traffic disruptions on the northernmost uh, Japanese mainland. 
Now, the Japanese Meteorological Agency predicted snowfall on Saturday in eastern Japan with this very, very cold weather, the lowest temperatures since this agency began compiling data in 1957. And uh, scientists are telling us now that the plummeting insect numbers signal global collapse of nature. Yikes, the world's insects, uh, this article says, are hurtling down the path to extinction, threatening a catastrophic collapse of nature's ecosystems, according to the very first global scientific review on this subject. They tell us that more than 40% of insect species are declining, and a third are endangered. The rate of extinction is eight times faster than that of mammals, birds, and reptiles. The total mass of insects is falling by a precipitous two and one-half percent a year, according to the best data available, suggesting that insects could vanish within a century if that rate of decline continues. According to this report, the planet is at the start of a sixth mass extinction in its history, with huge losses already reported in larger animals that are much easier to study than insects. But insects are by far the most varied and abundant animals on the planet, outweighing humanity by 17 times. They are absolutely essential for the proper functioning of all ecosystems, researchers say, as food for other creatures, as pollinators, and as recyclers of nutrients. Heads up on that one. Make us more conscientious, maybe, of what we do. Uh, New Zealand is battling its worst wildfire in more than 60 years. It's a massive brush fire that's turned through more than 5,600 acres on New Zealand's south coast in what is believed to be the country's worst forest fire since 1955. State of emergency was declared last week, and as of Monday, the blaze was still scorching the island's countryside. And fire chiefs are telling the locals that these fires could continue until March. Well, here's a story reflective somewhat of the uh, conflicted nature of human management of the environment. To protect imperiled salmon, fish advocates are wanting to shoot seagulls. Now, there are a lot of predators known to eat imperiled salmon, from sea lions to double-crested cormorants. Well, now one study of Oregon hydroelectric dams suggests that seagulls account for 20% of the loss of baby salmon. Now, an aviation predation expert, really there is such a thing, aviation predation expert proposes the solution is lethal control of problem goals in addition to non-lethal harassment. Really, that's how this is written. It goes on to say that not all gulls are guilty of eating salmon, but some of them are, this, this fish manager reports. And he says that the ones that are routinely up in the uh, channel that carries the water away from the dam uh, that eat the salmon probably just need better management. They tell us that gulls also steal fish from other birds, like terns. And they say that that doubles the amount of salmon eaten because the victim bird must replace its catch. At the same time, the same person, the same researcher, admits that 
some gulls can actually help salmon. Well, which is it? <laughs> that they hurt salmon or do they help <laughs> salmon? And the article goes on to say that any killing of gulls referred to as lethal management or lethal control by the government is a tactic the Audubon Society of Portland vehemently opposes. It is a continuation, they say, of a very unfortunate pattern of killing wildlife to protect other wildlife. And he goes on to say, it's not the wildlife that's the problem, it's the dams. The Army Corps of Engineers have refused to do what is necessary to modify those dams to protect the salmon, and that is why salmon are continuing to decline. Killing wildlife is not going to change that situation. He goes on to say, these birds, the gulls, are simply doing what comes naturally, eating fish. Well, the government can waive environmental laws to build border law prototypes, according to the court. The Trump administration was within its rights to waive dozens of environmental laws to fast-track some border construction projects in Southern California, according to a federal appeals court. The Department of Homeland Security said in 2017 that it would bypass various environmental regulations, including the National Environmental Policy Act, the Clean Air Act, and Endangered Species Act, to quickly construct barriers and roads along the U.S.-Mexico border. By granting itself the waiver now, the government avoided the requirement to complete environmental impact studies. But environmental advocacy groups in the state of California have challenged this waiver in court, arguing that the agency has overstepped its authority. And we've often talked about drought in California now for quite a while. But water in California now has brought a year's worth of water. And although California by now has a reputation for persistent drought and water scarcity, already this year the state's freshwater reserves are worth celebrating. Storms in the beginning of January brought an influx of snow to the Sierra Nevada and heavy rains elsewhere across the state, and now its water reservoirs are boosted exponentially. Over the first three weeks in January, 47 key reservoirs added 580 billion gallons of water, as much as roughly 9 million people use in a year. The combined storage in the California reservoirs has expanded uh, by 15 million acre-feet from the 1st of January to almost 18 million acre-feet right now. And they say, each acre-foot is enough water to flood an acre of land a foot deep for a total of 325,851 gallons. So, water everywhere. They're in pretty good shape right now. That is a very good thing. And in the South Pacific, there is a four-year-old island that was spawned by a hidden underwater volcano. It's called Hunga Tonga, and it's the only third volcanic pop-up island like this to have arisen in the last 150 years. Well, four years ago, this island arose out of almost nothing. Now it is a sprawling formation of jutting rock popping up in the South Pacific where at one time there were only waves. And right now, this uh, island created by the volcano, 
Hungatonka, is covered with beautiful pink flowers and green lush creeping vines that spontaneously erupted over its earlier barren surface, sprung up out of nowhere, proving once again that the force of life finds a way to happen. It's amazing. The photographs Mm. of that are stunning. You know, there wasn't anybody to plant seeds. Nobody went over there to, got on that volcanic rock and started to plant seeds. Life spontaneously appeared. It's a wonderment. And the flowers are beautiful. Well, here's an adorable story, something to make you scratch your head. Cute. It's true. Chimpanzees have built a ladder to escape from the Belfast Zoo. Well, any one of us would want to escape from any prison, of course. But there is this group of smart chimpanzees who temporarily managed to do just that, escape from their enclosure, by building a makeshift ladder to escape from the Belfast Zoo in Northern Ireland. Just very recently, this month, a group of clever and enterprising chimpanzees managed to get out of their enclosure by popping a tree branch against the wall to enable their escape. They just picked up a branch, dragged it over to the wall, lifted it up, propped it against the top of the wall, climbed up the branch, and bingo, bango, they're out of prison. All five of the chimpanzees left their cage or their enclosure. Now, they were later seen striding down an embankment and onto a road. But later, all of the chimpanzees returned home voluntarily. They weren't too interested in human society or buildings. They wanted to go home. The keeper says that the trees inside the chimp enclosure were weakened by storms, enabling the chimps to use fallen branches and ladders to make their escape. And he says that these chimpanzees return to their confines because they're intelligent primates and know they're not supposed to be out of their enclosure. So they managed to find a way to get back in themselves. I wonder, as I read this, and they didn't say, did the chimpanzees drag a branch from the outside of their cage or their enclosure to prop up on the wall so they could climb back in? Or did they leap to the top of the wall? We don't know that. All we know is that they managed to get back in. But isn't that something? And then I thought to myself, isn't this a lot like human beings? You know, a lot of times freedom, well, freedom is an elusive thing. I mean, we think about it. There is always to look at freedom, many ways we can consider it. But uh, there's emotional freedom. There's um, uh, physical freedom. There's political freedom. There's all kinds of freedoms. But it's so... Uh, common for human beings that once they're freed from one type of imprisonment or another, metaphorical or otherwise, so often they choose not to leave or maybe even to go back. So in any event, that's what the chimps did. They didn't like their freedom too much, and so they went home. And I thought, well, there's plenty to eat back home, so why not? (laughs) So I think the best part of that is that they had to work together. Yeah, absolutely. Five of them working together. Isn't that adorable? And and one yeah. didn't leave alone or two. They all stuck together, and they all came back together. Isn't that, isn't that wonderful? <laughs> it's yeah. wonderful. Oh, gosh, the things that we could know about animals if only we could. I mean, the hidden mysteries, the secret life of animals and what they know and how they communicate and the great intelligence that they possess. Wow, it's a wonderful thing. 
Well, that's it for tonight's news, Ariel. Thank you very much. It's going to be a great show tonight. Oh, absolutely, and thank you so much for the Starseed news. I'll be thinking about those chimps later. <laughs> That's funny. Isn't that wonderful? It's wonderful. Yeah. You can find that on the Internet. Uh, Northern Belfast, excuse me, Belfast, Northern Ireland is where this happened, at the zoo. There's pictures yeah. of it. In fact, there's videos of it on the Internet. They videoed the uh, chimps in there <laughs> as they were escaping. I think they followed them to see what happened. Uh, they didn't try to huh. round them up. So, anyway, wow. there you have it. Good for okay. them. <laughs> See you all okay. next week. Thanks so much, Anastasia. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Okay. Well, I am going to uh, get Lavendar's mic open here, and Dr. Hong, get your mic open. Okay. Well, Dr. Hong, welcome to the show. We're so happy to have you with us. Aloha. Aloha. I was thinking about you when she was talking about Hawaii um, <laughs> and the storms and the wind. Oh, my gosh. Because you are, are you on the big island? No, but I just recently went to the big island, and uh, I understand what she's talking about. But it has been really drastic, the weather here. But I can't uh. complain. It is not snowing in the North Shore. <laughs> oh, Beautiful waves. Uh, that we can see and uh, very safe compared to the snow and uh, wind chill. Oh. Well, um, Lavender, are you set to go? I'm set to go. All righty, take it away. So, Barbara, I I, um, I received your book. I must admit, though, that I, I haven't read but just a few pages. Uh, I've had uh, some family uh, things that I had to take care of, and I haven't been able to keep up with all my reading. But I'm really impressed by the way that you have, um, you know, taken your life in your hands and gone forward. So why don't you tell us a little bit about this book that you've written called Failing Up and how did you decide to write it? Well, uh, in my field is mostly doing research papers and, and, you know, that would have been a lot easier. So it was uh, it is a very hard task to have to openly uh, basically expose your life and to tell people about it. But what really got me um, into writing this is uh, one time when I was teaching at Penn State and there was this uh, 23-year-old whom the mother had paid me, you know, a good amount of money to help him, you know, basically like a life coach. And uh, he said, and he's alcoholic and, you know, struggling in school. And he goes, you know what? You are Asian. You will never understand what is it that I'm going through. You went to Columbia. Your parents are probably rich and educated, and you never know what is it like to go through the life like I did. And it dawned on me that uh, he's not the only one. Oftentimes when I meet people, they have a certain you know, stereotype about Asians. We always just have it all together. We know exactly from point A to point B what we want to do, self-reliance and all of that. And especially with the recent movie of the Crazy Rich Asian setting place in Singapore, clean, wealthy, smart people, and I'm not any of those at all. And so that started me in uh, writing this book to tell my story so that uh, people can understand no matter what the background you've been through, you can arrive at something, you know, uh, with, you know, as we talk about it, I'll, I'll share with you more. So <clears throat> tell us a little bit about your upbringing with your family and how you decided to leave 
to leave there to uh, better your life. Tell us what happened to you as a child. Well, my whole life, all I know is my dad is an alcoholic. Uh, you know, he doesn't bring home any income. My home is a sweatshop, but I'm grateful for that because that's how we make uh, make it work. Uh, every dozen of clothes that we snip, the threads of the buttons, the sleeves of sewing, we get about 30 cents for each dozen, so we have to do a lot of that. So as far as I know, growing up, that's what uh, my life is like. A lot of time, my dad who doesn't come home, my mom will gather us together and basically trying to, you know, have a mass suicide, whether we're drinking uh, chlorine or uh, taking a knife, a scissors to stab ourselves. Basically, she's so uh, distraught that she just wants to kill all of us. But it became such a routine that what we go through every week that I don't know what is it different and on top of being an alcoholic, uh, my father gambles, and so it comes with, you know, abuse going on in the home. And my mom is um, illiterate, so when I say that, it means she she doesn't know how to write her name. And uh, she was given away without her knowing at four years old and never returned back to her, her own parents. And I have um, three other siblings. I'm the youngest. So none of my siblings uh, finished 10th grade. So that is my mother, at least my mother's biggest wish is, well, maybe one of you will finish 10th grade, which is the equivalent of 12th grade, uh, you know, in the United States. And her biggest dream for any of us is if one of us worked in an office with air condition, that would be the most luxurious job that you could have. Uh, or to aspire to be. So growing up, that's all I know. You know, school is not important. It's about survival. And I don't think it's it's uncommon. A lot of us growing up in the neighborhood at that time, that's what life is about. So what age were you when you were able to leave there? Well, uh, to, to... carry on a little bit of um, the upbringing is when I was uh, white, why is it that I, you know, didn't pay attention to school and all that, and then coming to America to study, is that when I was, uh, I'm the fourth child, and at the time, Singapore had just separated to be independent from uh, Malaysia. So, if you had, the, the government is trying to control the population called stop at two. So if you have the third child, the government will forgive you, but not the fourth child. And I'm the fourth child. So my mom revealed to me when I was in, trying to enter school at first grade and keep getting um, rejected, schools after schools, uh, is that she tried to abort me twice when she was carrying me with, you know, six months pregnant with me. And uh, she couldn't get rid of me, so she often remind me that you don't really have a brain, so don't try to study too hard because then your brain will explode. Now, remember, she's not literate, so that's all she thinks about. It's like, you know, now that you're born, you cannot really study, so don't try too hard. You know, you're, you're retarded and your brain is already damaged because of what I've taken, not from a legal doctor, but from a back alley you know, some snake oil person who sold her some things to drink and uh, to take. So growing up, just basically passing through schools, it's never been a big priority. 
I, I cannot read till I was in fourth grade or barely reading. We don't have any books in the home at all. And so school is just a routine. But when I was in 10th grade, like I said, that was the most important year of school. We had to take an exam called a Cambridge exam, which is like the equivalent of SAT here. Uh, I didn't even show up for the exam, basically. But uh, So I should expect myself to fail. But somehow when I failed, uh, flung that grade, it was the most humiliating thing I ever experienced in my life as a teenager, you know, growing up. And I said, I don't want to ever feel so shameful again. Uh, what is even more uh, stigmatized with failing is that your friends would have gone on to wear a different uniform, whereas if you were to retain, you would wear the same uniform and everybody would know that you fail and it's not a very big country. So I said I could either drop off of school and go work which my, and contribute to the family, or I could just suck it up and only cry for 24 hours and this could be the Longest 365 days of my life, or the shortest one. And I decided to um, repeat the grade. And this is a school that is not very, you know, not very good. Basically put it this way, because I was the fourth child, so I cannot go to any of the decent school. And nobody, no teacher wanted to teach that grade. And basically the uh, disciplinary master has no choice but to teach the class. And it was when things changed for me. Of all subjects, first of all, he was teaching math. I mean, when a student is failing, the last thing you want to engage in is math. But yet, he had a way of teaching that he taught me. He didn't just teach math or the curriculum. He taught me. He would say things like, of course you can do this. Look at this. You know, And this simple enough. Follow this step. And he was talking to the whole class. But I felt that I needed that boost from the teacher, and it's not common for Asian teacher to go on with such praise or accolade or encouragement in class. But that really changed, and uh, following that, I went on to the next grade and became the best all-around student of the year because of one teacher that changed everything. And you asked eventually how I came to America. Was uh, My father was still very abusive, and I had saved uh, some money, about 1200 U.S. dollars, from babysitting, doing cars, cleaning, custodian, all of this. And uh, the only place I know is the one affiliated to the church, which is Brigham Young University in Hawaii. So I decided, you know, a one-way ticket and bought my ticket and came to America. There you go. Sorry, that was such a long answer. <laughs> no, I loved it. I, I loved it. So... Let me ask you what what year was that when you when you escaped? Uh, nineteen ninety three. Ninety three. So, does your parents did, did you go back and show them that you that you graduated and that you have that you are a professor? Have me have you stayed in contact with your family? I always stay in contact with my family. It is an Asian culture. We always do that. But they don't understand what is a bachelor degree or a P, let alone a PhD. So nobody came to my graduation. I never have anybody came to come to my graduation. Oh, that's so sad. Well, it's it. This book that you've written. Tell us a little bit about uh, why you decided to um, to write a book that was going to help people understand about 
if they were flunking, just to have determination and hope. So tell us, do you have some examples of people that you've helped or stories that would um, be interesting for our listeners? In fact, um, in my field, especially in special education, it's like you almost start with a failure, you know, so whether it's poverty, uh, academics, social, psychological, I feel that I could go on and teach and model the best teaching, but in all that I do, I feel like, what if I tell you my story? And I call it empathetic teaching. If I can tell you, I understand what you've been through. And if each of us embrace that, what you've been through, it makes you a better person. I used to be embarrassed, ashamed, you know, just like anybody who has gone through being a professor. I don't want to profess to the world that I am not very smart to begin with, that I stumbled through. But in writing this, it helped me and uh, many of my students and my colleagues and even people, strangers, all the way from Iraq, Kyrgyzstan, had written to me and said that they could relate to it because they are experiencing failure and losing hope in their life and they can see that they are not alone. We all go through this for a reason, even though we cannot see. I could not see at that time. But as you go through, in my book, I call them accidental angels, just like this teacher. I have met several accidental angels in my life that they were helping me saying things that they don't even know. And that's why this, you know, feeling is, even though we are feeling, we are still moving forward. If we allow others to help us, we can transform, we can change. And people will say, wow, you know, you finished your undergrad, got three masters, went to a PhD, everything in eight years. You must be smart. And I said, it wasn't the eight years. It was the 22 years of failing that helped me understand how to arrive and develop the attributes of persistence, not giving up the stamina and uh, kindness and empathy that embrace, that we should embrace failures and not avoid them. So where do you teach school now? Where are you a professor? Uh, I am a professor at Brigham Young University in Hawaii, where I started from the beginning. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. So, um, gee, I've, I've never I've never interviewed anybody quite like you before. So I'm kind of <laughs> I'm searching for things to, to ask you about. Most of our our, our uh, guests that that we have on our show have something to do with UFOs or uh, ETs oh. or celestial <laughs> beings. So this is the first time that I've had a a regular author with you know a subject matter that that does not cover what we usually cover all the time. So bear with me as I'm trying to uh, no problem. look into I your soul a little bit to uh, to share um, with our audience the deep determination that you have taken in your life to bring forth your, your masterships. So, you know, kudos to you, girl, that you didn't take failure and let it beat you down, that you decided to step into your power and, and, and make it work for you. So... Um, you, you talk about the people that have helped you, the angels that have come uh, to help you. Can you tell us a little bit more about who they are and what they have done for you? Yes. And um, like I say, these are accidental to me and to them. They don't know that they have helped. And I know that all of us in our life have such accidental angels. 
and that's why a big ethos of what you know I I share with my you know students is no one cares how much you know until they know how much you care. You got to begin everything by caring about the person more than the grade, the background, the way they dress, the education. Because I would have been easily written off because not even teachers want to teach the repeaters, but because this administrator. This administrator came in and taught the class. It changed my life forever. And down the road, I have different um, teachers and friends and even, you know, classmates who are my age that have helped me along the way, which is what I attribute the books to. Like one of them was Julia. She was my age, but super smart, you know, math and everything. But the way she taught me that was the most important was she said, it's okay to make mistakes. That's why we learn from it. Why do you think this and this doesn't equate to this? She teach me to stare at my mistake instead of turning away. All we want to do is to close our chapter when we fail. But she said, no, look at it. And she asked me questions. And then when I came to America, again, met with tremendous people. Sometimes people wonder, oh, are you in special education because of your background and your experiences? No. No, Asians do normally study accounting, business, computing. Nobody do education, let alone special education. But it was a professor who took the chance on me. And I said, I don't know anything about special education, but if you're trying to start a program, let me help you, and I will learn everything I can about keyboarding and calling people and what on earth is learning disability and all of this. And he took the chance on me, even though I don't have any skills. And when I finished that year, the program got accredited. And I said, you know what? I think I'm going to study this for the rest of my life. So there you go, another person. And then one other professor whom I try to avoid because I do not like to study Chinese. And uh, my English is not very good, you know. And uh, he... you just want to be done with your general ed class and avoid that class and that professor forever. But he keep on asking me, well, how are you doing? What is going on with your life? What are the goals that you have set? And I said, you know, I'm done with your class. Why do you keep wondering what I'm doing? You don't have to do anything with me anymore. But he was so persistent, and that's where he counseled me. If you want to be a teacher, go to a top school called Teacher's College at Columbia, which I've never heard of because back then we don't have internet and I don't know any of this big school name. Um, So fast forward, when I graduated with my PhD, he flew with his wife from Hawaii to New York City with a fresh ginger lay to give me because he knew that no, none of my parents are not going to be there. And that was how much he cared about me that I didn't know. Wow. Wow, that was huge. Yeah, so I think in our lives is paying it forward by just being a good person and caring about others. You don't need money, wealth, power, status. You can be ordinary and caring, and you don't know if you have touched somebody's life. I noticed that uh, on Chapter 11 you have a one-liner we are each of us angels with only one wing, and we can only fly by embracing one another. I, yes. I love the one-liners that you have in your book. It's, it's really, I'm a big one-liner person myself. 
I yeah. think quotes, uh, again, beginning the book with, there is a crack in everything. That's how the light gets in by Leonard Cohen. And I think, uh, you know, quotation allows to read very deep and relate to each of us, which is the point of this book, that you relate to it. We see cracks and we try to cement it and hide it. But that's how the lights could get in to let these plants grow. We are all survivors. And at the end of the book, I say, don't compare your life to others. There is no comparison between the sun, the moon, and the stars. They shine when it's their time. We must embrace darkness in order for stars to shine. The star cannot shine, you know, or we cannot see it shine in daylight. It's only when it's dark that we can see that. Right. Here's a one-liner. There came a time when the risk to remain tight in the bud was more painful than the risk it took to blossom. Yeah, that's a good one. Yes, but sometimes... We just wait for that, oh, come on, I just want to, you know, whether win the lottery, pass this one exam. And, but I don't realize it is not about the destination. It is the transformation of who we are before we arrive at the destination. And in my book, I talk about Alice in Wonderland. When I first heard the story in America, you know, where she came to the crossroad and she didn't know which road to take. And the Trisha cat said, well, where do you want to go? And uh, well, if you don't know where you want to go, it doesn't matter which route you take. But I say, uh, most of us, we don't really know where we want to go. But if I'm willing to take the chance and take one of those roads and be willing to say, you know what, if this is the wrong road, don't cry. Turn around, pick myself up, and try another road. And maybe there are 3,000 roads, but don't be discouraged. I think that transformation of our attributes is more important than trying to arrive at a destination which we may not eventually arrive, but we are a better person, and that's the important thing. Right. Here's another one-liner. Never mind searching for who you are. Search for the person you aspire to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good we're al- Yeah, we're always looking to be, why well, I wish I could be like you. Well, be the one you. Be you. Be the person and the best that you can be. Uh, my son recently, you know, trying to ride the bike and said, Mom, I'm scared. When I ride the bike, I, I think I'm going to fall. And it dawned on me, you know what, sweetie? It's when you start looking down that you will lose your balance. When you feel like you're falling, keep riding and keep looking forward. Then you know that you're going forward. And it's just like riding a bike, right? And, uh, you know, like you talk about the butt is even more gruesome. The analogy of the butterfly that I have a quote in there. There is nothing in a caterpillar that tells you it's going to be a butterfly. And knowing what a butterfly goes through and you know, crystallizing the gruesome transformation, it almost has to ingest its own organ to reform itself. That is very awful, I think. But yet the butterfly knew it has to go through that in in order to become that beautiful, you know, being. And sometimes it's hard for us to see where we are when we are going through it. And that's why I hope that this book gives people a sense of hope, uh, wherever that may be. And may I share with you, in the prologue of my book, I had, uh, a page I said, you know, I decided that it was time I stopped hiding behind my own shame. I want to make sense of my past. There's no shame in being broken. I've been broken over and over again, not by choice or by anyone's intention. 
Nevertheless, the process has made me struggle to grow more than ruin me. And Vance Hefner described this evolution most poignantly. It takes broken soil to produce a crop, broken clouds to give rain, broken grain to give bread, broken bread to give strength. It is the broken alabaster box that gives forth perfume. Wow. That's strong. Very strong. Wow. So so did you meet your husband in Hawaii? <laughs> yes, I did. And how, how long have you been married, and, and do you have children? Yes, uh, 25 years. I have four children. Four children? Oh, goodness. Yes. <laughs> I've been very blessed. He has been very supportive. Like people were ask, you know, how did you make it? You know, again, it's not because of intelligence. Most of us, you know, are just average. Is uh, his care, his support, and uh, basically the love of people around us. Don't try to make it on your own. It's just stupid. We need to count on others. Let others be in our way, and whatever they are, we are going to learn something and be and us be in somebody's way as well so that we can help others. So tell us a little bit about your son Elijah. I just opened the book and, oh. and see that, that he um has has kind of been walking in your footsteps. Tell us about him. Oh well actually he chose the better path. He became an accountant. He's currently finishing up his um graduate study. May twenty nine he'll graduate from a top university in UT Austin and Master Public Accountancy and uh, already signed a contract with uh, one of the top big four firms, PwC, to work on June 1st. Well, good. That's (laughs) great. So tell us more about the things that you're planning on doing in the future. Are you going to write any more books? Do you have any plans to something else? Yes. In fact, I have been asked that um, about writing the next book. And my next book, it may cause some controversy, but again, having been a teacher, professor, administrator, uh, the book is actually called Teaching Disability. So instead of learning disability, the word learning will be crossed out and it will be called Teaching Disability. Everything you should have learned in school but didn't. That sometimes from two aspects is that students are struggling and the first thing the teacher does is blame it on the students or their background or parents when I really want teachers to reflect on themselves and again helping parents to empower them to be able to be part of this community of learners don't try to do it on your own but first as a teacher I think that the book speaks for itself the power of one teacher that changed my life and teacher is a profession of caring not just a curriculum the C stands for the child and about caring about the child not just common call or curriculum wow you really got it going on Barbara I really applaud you oh, <laughs> thank you I mean, you have come a long way to to be who you are now and writing this book called Failing Up, A Professor's Odyssey on Flunking, Determination, and Hope. What what a, a wonderful – I'm going to take the time to, to read it uh, when I have the time to read it. So <laughs> I'm you. looking at the time, so I'd like to pass you over to my co-host, Ariel, who has the switchboard. There may be someone that wants to call in and make a comment or ask you a question. Would you be willing to do that? Absolutely. 
Okay. So thank you, Barbara, for, for the thank work you. that you've been doing and for your determination to stay true to your quest. So back thank to you, you Ariel. Okay. Well, and I mean, listening to your story, I can I can just sense how deeply you care, um, and this this comes from the the core of your soul in genuinely wanting to help people the way people were there to help you, uh, and you came from uh, extreme circumstances. So um, before we before I uh, go on, I uh, just want to say that if you are already on the switchboard and listening to the show, if you have a question for Dr. Barbara, just press 1 on your keypad so we know you want to come on the air. If you're listening on the computer, then just pick up the phone, dial 917-889-8292, and then once you're in, press 1, and uh, we'll get you set to go to ask your question to Dr. Barbara. So um, as, as Lavendar was saying, uh, we have an audience of very um, spiritual and metaphysically advanced people, and they have also children who are different. And, and I think that what you are saying would also apply to, to our audience in that a lot of the, the starseed children um, are labeled as, you know, ADHD, um, having learning disabilities, when the truth is that they're really so smart that they can't pay attention to um, what they're teaching, you know, in in our current uh, educational system. And uh, so a lot of them do face challenges of feeling like they're different, they're they're not as good as everybody, and they don't fit in. So, I mean, I can see that this applies as well um, to children, um, the children of people everywhere, because the I'm, and, and I'm. It's been a long time since I was in the public school system, <laughs> but I don't think it's changed a whole lot. And and you know the children are different today, so the educational system has got to go with that. I mean, um, the children of our audience uh, would do better, I think. Um, doing their own, you know, just tell them this is what you need to mm. to study and let them go do it themselves rather than um, trying to fit them into some, some mold where they actually are engaged. Yeah. So, I and that, I mean, that, got, sorry. I, was, I just think that applies to any age group, mm. whether it's, you know, first grade or college. Uh, I totally agree with what you're saying is that labor is a convenience and it doesn't help. And what they don't understand is that putting it on, uh, the child lives with that. Because, let's say, especially for me, my mom says that to me. So you have no choice but to embrace it. It's like a self-fulfilling prophecy. Even if the child is struggling, even if the child is, however, severely disabled, and whatever background they come from, is that first and foremost, is to care about the person. That's why as an individual, regardless of whether you like my subject, you do well in my subject, is I care about you as an individual. So when students, whether they fail in first grade, in high school, in college, you know what, even though you didn't make it through the class, you got this bad grade, but what is it that you have become? You have become more self-aware 
and we do not pay attention to that. I'm not proposing that uh, we just fail for the sake of failing. I'm saying when we fail and things are out of our control, become self-aware. What is it that I can do? What is it I cannot do? I cannot change my circumstance. I cannot change my father. I cannot change my family. I cannot change my teachers and my grade. But what can I do? I can make the decision to adjust my goals or, you know what, not be discouraged. Get on the school, study, find out whatever resources I can, even though the teacher may not be helping, maybe my parents. So that self-awareness can empower you which is to say, stop blaming everybody for everything. I call it, just suck it up. It's life. It's a good thing that what you're going through. Don't be negative. Be positive and strive for that. You know, everyone matters and I matter. Just because I'm different, I am not less. I can do this and uh, embrace that failure. What did I learn from it? And go from there. I think, you know, when you learn more from a negative experience, then, you know, if everything just drops in your lap and it's like, oh, that was easy and and that was wonderful. Um, So there is definitely something to be said for the the striving and... Mm -hmm. um, and having to having to reach and stretch to get to your goal, regardless of what that goal is, and then when they yeah. when they start labeling children, and you know if a parent because they're, I don't know, I mean you're teaching in college, so the your students are they're you know they're in their twenties or late teens, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, but yeah, but when those when those children um, when the but even still, you know, after after 1980, um, the children that were being born seemed to be a lot more advanced than you know the generation before, and they they catch on a lot more quickly. And sometimes, if they, if they're actually smarter yeah. than the parents, you know, the parents try to you know hold them back a little bit, I think, um, so that they don't feel so inferior to the children. But then they, you get labels on them. And and then they start giving them pills to try to make fact, them like everybody else, and that's that's yeah. like the beginning of a really bad <laughs> a bad thing, I think. <laughs> well, we just solve everything with a pill in this society. If you notice, know it's like as if you get a pill, but in giving the pill, like I say, whatever medication the child needs, what are you helping the child to develop in terms of attribute? And I call that self-regulation. The discipline, the persistence, the time management, learning how to organize, learning never to miss school, miss a class. That is actually what students struggle in a lot in college. Finally, they are free on their own and they don't know how to organize their time. They don't show up in class. But talking about younger kids is, you know, like I understand we need labors to get services and to get intervention but the important thing is caring for the individual and then as a teacher is to qualify yourself to understand how to work with the student. Go and research. Go and find out and doing your best rather than, well, there's not much you can learn. Just put you aside. Like you say, our kids are different. A lot of them are smarter than the teachers. But the teachers are still using the same thing that they taught year after year after year with very little uh, themselves to improve, you know, and that's what there's a disconnect with uh, the rising generation. They could find all this information online. Why would they come to class? 
unless you're sharing something different, right? Right. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, there, there are there's just there's so many um, different situations. But, I mean, I think that, I mean, I've, I was I was uh, I taught music for a while, and mm. and you, when you get someone who just you can see that they're not comprehending, then you've got to change your method, and then tr- you know try a different approach, and then when you see the you know, when you see the light come on, it's like oh they got it they got it you have to you have to uh, customize. When you and and I'm sure that you can tell as a teacher when you're when you're delivering information, you can tell who is understanding it and who is a little confused. And yeah. and when you, you know when you see that, then you have to, um, well, state it in a, in another way or uh, use a different analogy. But I, I find it like, you know really rewarding when when you see that you found the you found the key to open them up. Yes. Yes. And I really think and of it's course, responsibility I, of the teacher. Yeah. I understand. You now, teachers are overwhelmed. I've been in that shoe. I know administrators are overwhelmed. They have, you know, paperwork, funding, policies. And that's why I say parents play a very big role. And if you don't have that parent component, the community plays a very big role, which brings to the point of self-advocate. The students then to raise your hand, the teacher cannot answer, well, what can you do? I can find out who else can I ask. Be the advocate for the child or teach the child to be a self-advocate. So, you know, the the four points that uh, I, I mentioned, self-awareness, being self-empowered, self-regulated, and self-advocate, are basically the combination of what makes self-determination. Those are not one or the other. You've got to have these four things in order to know, okay, even if I don't get my goal, can I adjust it? Can I change anything? If not, what else can I do? Rather than spiral into this depression, give me the pill, go to alcohol, you know, uh, you basically resort to trying to find an escape rather than, well, what, has, what have I learned from this thing? All these failures and face it. Don't avoid it. Right. Well, I think yeah. I mean, when you avoid something like that, it cannot go away. And when you face it, it exactly. does go away. So you know, would you rather have it, you know, all in one time, or would you rather have it in small doses for for a long, long time? You know, it's like uh-huh. I'd rather yeah. just I'd just rather go jump in, get it, you know, get it behind me, and then and then you can move on. But like you know, say, it is not always easy to see that that's why that one year that I had to repeat I mean it could be the longest 365 days very long but now in looking back it was the shortest one in the bigger realm of things right it's the shortest thing I pay a small price but at a time it looks like a really heavy price for a teenager to be humiliated I got to pay my own supplementary fee because my parents were not going to support me uh, to repeat another year and so it was very hard. Well, you had the—I mean, you had the, the self-determination, and uh, you know, sometimes the more—at <laughs> least with me—the more someone tells me, "Oh, you can't do that," the more <laughs> inclined I am to just prove them wrong. It's like, okay, watch me. <laughs> you know what? That is so true. And in my book, I talk about this. 
you know, we call it stubborn, stubbornness and self-determination. People can take the knowledge and skills that they have and turn around and be really, really bad. That is the danger of self-determination. That's why I said great self-determination is great, but you must embrace the ethic of caring. If you do not care about yourself or the society or become pro-social, you can take this self-determination in a very wrong way, and we have many examples of that. Very smart people who commit very bad crimes because self-determination alone is very dangerous. So yeah, you, well, you definitely have to have the, the caring and the... And the uh, um, the empathy, as you said, um, yes. The pain. Not, I mean, not only with others, and, but yeah. for, but for yourself as well. I mean, exactly. It, it will serve. Yeah. Exactly. So yeah, and as you were, I mean, talking about, um, you know, somebody you know setting a goal and and then failing, and um, in in our line of work where we we use um, astrology to um, mm-hmm. to see what the person's strengths are and mm-hmm. and that's what we call what what your name is on and if sometimes if somebody decides well you know i'm going to be um an accountant because it's safe it's uh, uh it's steady uh, it's normal and but they in their in their chart you could see that they were to be an artist because they have mm-hmm. all these markings for you know for that kind of thing and sometimes when you try when you're trying to go down the wrong road where you know you it wasn't your purpose um originally your destiny to do that and sometimes the failures help you get on a different track it's like well let me go about this a different way and then before you know it the the the, the synchronicities kick in you meet someone mm-hmm. you know just randomly and they change your life just like happened yeah. you know with yeah. you but you mm-hmm. have to um, certainly embrace the failures and and know, you know, where's your heart? Where's your passion? What do you really, really want? It's not what someone said that, you know, you know, my child has to be a doctor. Mm-hmm. I you think know? you pointed out two important things. One is how society defines success because we use grades and profession and salary and wealth and all of this thing. I say if a person chooses if a person, whatever circumstance, became a custodian, it's the best custodian. It's an honest person. You can still live a life, and you'll be more at peace with yourself than somebody who has wealth and, and popularity and everything and is depressed and is alcoholic and all of that. So mm-hmm. don't let those things, even a grade, you know, wow, the teacher gave me a D grade. Don't be mad. Is that You know what? That's the teacher's opinion of it. I feel that I deserve this thing. It's fine. You know, what is it that you can accept, you know, uh, because mm-hmm. my life is not defined by grade. So in the book I talk about, it got to be defined more than us. Not because somebody wants me to go to school. Somebody wants me to do the homework. Somebody wants me to get this profession. This is what I want to do. And I'm going to do it. And when they feel, I need to learn to take responsibility because I make the decision. But I'm not going to be discouraged. I can turn around and change again. The only thing we are working against, everybody on the same, is time. We all have the same amount of time. And sometimes we discover it a little too late. But what do we learn out of it? Now we can help others. And uh, that's the important thing. So don't even 
admit that while that's it, I've wasted my whole life. You did not. You could have passed on your experiences to other people so that they don't have to go through that. And that is a good thing that you should embrace and that we all should embrace that. I completely agree. And and no matter what you do, if you do it the best you can, um, yeah. there is value. There is value in that. As a matter of fact, I was just thinking about that the other day, about the, the people that put the groceries in the bags, you know, and they stand at mm-hmm. the end of the cashier line. And and I watched this, this little girl the other day, and, well, she was just, she was pleasant, she was helpful, she was, you know, friendly, and and just... She was the best bagger I ever saw, and it's like, there you go. You know, no matter mm-hmm. what your job is, if you do it the best you can and you smile at people and you have an effect on people, so, you know, and I'll remember her. I love for that. that. Not the effect yeah, yeah, that not, you have on people. You think you remember what your teacher taught? No, you remember the effect that teacher has on you. And that's why it can it can be contagious. It can go everywhere. In fact, I love that you bring the example because it's, you know, like somebody helped you with something. And even though it's so minute, I always make it a point, hey, I want to let your supervisor know. I will write a letter. I will thank the person. It matters to that person that somebody thank her or him, you know, even though it's such a small thing. We need to take the time to remember the small things all counts because they accumulate. And sometimes that one word, it could change the person's day. And for me, hey, just the lesson of what the teachers say, you can do this, you can do And he's not really talking to me, but it changed my entire perception of how I saw myself, you know. And so it can make a difference. And paying it forward is important. Oh, it, it, it's, it's everything. You know, people that... You know, if you've had good luck, you know, provide something for someone else and pay it forward. You know, if someone helps you, you help the next person, and that's that's, that's right. just a that's the that's what is where the where the future, in my opinion, um, is going. As people um, become more self-aware, they become more responsible. Uh, they mm-hmm. wake up a little bit more, and 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 show more compassion. And, and grace in their day to day life. Uh, yeah. You know, you don't have to. You don't have to. You know, have. <laughs> I mean, you've got so many awards that it was like, oh my gosh, look at. I mean, the things that you've done, the the, the things you've accomplished. Um, that is, I mean, that's it's wonderful. But there are also people who maybe only have a high school education who are out, you know, helping the little old ladies across the street, and that. Yeah. That that's just I think where we're where we're headed. Um, hopefully, as the as more and more people become more empathetic, and more compassionate, and and more aware, and uh, breaking out of the 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 constraints that you know, especially in education. That I mean, our education system really hasn't changed much since it started. No, it becomes, you know, like competitive, survivor, it's all on your own, that I think we missed a very big picture of why are we getting people educated? Is it so they can memorize the dates and they can write this essay? And, you know, I've lived in the Middle East and some of the most war-torn area near Syria, you know, in my travel as a Fulbrighter. I tell you, these are some of the most compassionate people, despite they don't have anything. They are in chaos. 
And yet, if you need a piece of bread, they will give everything to you. That is what they learn, greatest compassion uh, that I've ever seen. So don't take for granted because we have, you know, things at our fingertips. That's something we take for granted. Uh, what we have, we miss the opportunity to become uh, empathetic and more compassionate, like what you said. Yeah, you know, and that's the the American culture is so different um, for people that have traveled like you. And I, I mean, I've traveled a little bit, but um, I haven't been to like the Middle East, but I've been through Europe, and um, it's such a different culture. And you realize that. Um, in a lot of ways, Americans have more, but yet they have less when it comes to the the heart and the compassion. And, and I think a lot of people, you know, they get their education so that they can get a good job, so that they can have money. And yeah, I mean, those not- are understandable. Yeah. But in yeah. my book, that's what this professor at um, uh, Thomas Sobel in Columbia asked me, what is it that you really want to do with your education? I was thinking, well, I've got a job, you know, all of this. He said, what do you really want to do? And he asked me that question. I had to think about it for so long. Is the value and the impact that you have, what is it you really want to do with your learning? Like uh, Mark Twain said, never let your education interfere with your learning. What exactly do I want to do with all of this knowledge? I now want to go help others to advocate for those who are voiceless, you know, as children with disabilities and all of that, to better train the teachers, not so I can get a job and get summer off. And Those are important, but don't miss the bigger picture, the underlying thing that Embrace your passion. Why do you wake up every day to do what you do? Oh, it's so important. It's so important. And and I think it, to a great degree, um, a lot of Americans have kind of missed that. And they get caught up in all of the, you know, the the, the structures and the, and uh, you know, getting back and forth to work, and getting your groceries, and raising the kids, and yeah, um, yeah I mean, it just really spread very thin. So that there's not a lot of room or time to to reach to, out, and so and that's and it's sometimes you just have to step back and and get away from you know the routine, so you can take a look at it and see how it's really working for you. You know what's interesting? Like you say, sometimes we're so self-absorbed. But what is interesting is when you start opening your eyes, they are everywhere. Opportunities are everywhere. The other day we go into 7-Eleven. My son wanted, you know, a, a shake. I said, well, every time we buy something, don't ever think you're entitled to this shake. What can you give twice the amount to somebody? Pay for the person in front of you. And there, there happened to be a homeless person. We're like, we'll buy the soda and a dinner for this person. What else can you do? They are everywhere. Yeah, opportunities everywhere for you to uh, be compassionate. So if we start opening our eyes, uh, we'll be surprised. Oh, my goodness, I wish I had more uh, money, time to give. They are everywhere. So, you know, give yourself a challenge uh, or listeners that every day before the end of the day, I'm able to say something, give something, share my love for somebody before the end of the day. That's a wonderful, I don't even know what to call it, like a philosophy. Um, and, and usually when, when, I'm, uh, when I'm wrapping up the show, that this is the last thing I say is find grace 
find compassion, find gratitude, mm. and every wow. day. Wow, I like that. And every I day. like that. Yeah, yes. because that's how we step into 5D. And uh, I don't know how much you've heard about, you know, the shifting of the energies of the earth and the, the raising of the frequencies, um, bringing more light into the planet. And even if you're not familiar with those terms, you're already doing mm-hmm. it. Oh, that's the way you live your life. I think we life. are more connected than we are different. So, in what you're saying, I totally uh, understand it from the Chinese point of view because we also have five elements, right? The earth, the star. So we also have the five elements. We are we are not alone, you know. So have the hope, and at the same time, reach out and make that connection. We have to connect with people. Hopefully, more than just through wealth and your status, is connecting with them through adding the value of compassion and grace and like what you said. Yeah, you can, you can, every one of us can be what you call the accidental angel. Yes. Just happen to show up at, and you just happen to be there in the right moment yeah. at a time when, you know, a word, a pat on the back, it can have such an impact. And a lot of us kind of forget that we've got that power uh, because, yeah. because it is easy to get so, you know, caught up in the, oh, I've got to do this, I've got to do that, I've got to go here, I've got to go there, i got to pick up the dry cleaning. And, and you kinda, it's easy to get covered up. So I'm so, I'm so happy that you've, that you've written this book. And um, oh, thank you. I, I, there's a, a, a quote that I have often used, and I don't even know who it's from, but it is that you only fail when you quit trying. Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. You know, up, up to the point, you know, if you don't quit trying, you cannot fail. You just I remember stay, stand back up. Yeah. yeah. So that trying is a continuous tense. It requires that continuity. It's a process that you keep on going. And so even as you fail, look up, you know, somebody will be there to lift up your hand. And uh, you never know who that person could be. Well, that's, you know, and as long as we keep our, our hearts open to, um, you know, well, I don't know if you've seen the movie Cast Away with Tom Hanks, you yes. never know what the tide, you never know what the tide's going to bring in. So that's right. even, even when you think, you know, that you're going to die like he did in the movie, yes. um, you just never know what the tide will bring in. So it's important to keep that, that optimistic attitude um, even when you feel like you know your your knees are shaking and you could fall down any minute, um, look around because there will be somebody there. Yes, there will be and, somebody uh, there. Keep trying. They like say you know earlier you had mentioned that like, you know we just oh every doors are slamming on you. You know what? Sometimes those doors have to close so that you will go carve a new door. Otherwise, you will not even think of building a new door because you kept waiting for doors to open. Well, sometimes the doors have to slam on you so that you have to go build another door. And it's okay because you have developed that strength, that persistence, that stamina to be able to, I will build my own door. And uh, it's possible. Absolutely. You know, as long as we have breath, um, there is always the next try, and the, you know the next try mm-hmm. could be the door that opens, even if you have to build the door yourself. So yeah. uh, yes, always, and always remember that if you are ready to receive help, 
it'll come. Mm-hmm. That's right. You may not, yes. you know, Thank you. You may not know where it's coming from, but um, but yes. you will receive help. Um, and I think if you if you if you live your life, if a person lives their life like you have, um, enriching others and empowering others, then when you need a leg up, there will always be somebody there for you. Mm-hmm. And always. I feel like don't you don't need to go look for them. You be one first. And they will happen in your life. Absolutely. I so agree. Well, it has just been wonderful speaking with you. You're a very um, positive, optimistic, and hopeful person. And and I know that you live that um, 24 hours a day. And um, I'm glad for your students (laughs) that they have uh, a a teacher that cares and that you will make a difference in their lives. I'm inspired by you as well. Thank you. Hopefully, there will be other teachers that you can train in your in well, your you know theories. One classroom at a time, one teacher at a time. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Yes. And you'll feel good one about matter. it at the end of the yes. day. That's right. So thank you so um, much. You are so welcome. I just want to mention again: the name of your book is Failing Up. It is your story of determination and hope um, and your website is barbara hong h-o-n-g dot com so um, any anybody with children it would really benefit you to uh, take a look at at the book at the website and um, do you do any kind of uh, like you know consultation for if if someone wanted to contact you could they get some guidance Yes, I I have uh, all the information on my website. What is it that I do for schools, for parents, for for students at uh, different grade age level or difficulties and challenges in life? Yes, on my website we have all the information. Okay, great. Well, it's been a pleasure having you with us this evening, and oh, I my thank pleasure. you. Uh, thank you thank for you. the work that you're doing for the for the strength of your spirit. And and that's got to be an inspiration to anyone around you and hopefully to everyone that hears this radio show. So you keep up Thank you. the good work and uh, let us know if you have another book coming out. We'd like to hear about yes, it. Yes, for sure. Thank you very much for the time. You are so welcome. So we have been talking to Dr. Barbara Hong, and make sure you check out her website, BarbaraHong.com and um, her book, Failing Up. So that's it for us tonight, everyone. Uh, thank you, Dr. Hong, for being with us. And we okay, thank everyone we for there? listening. Um, okay. Not quite yet. Not quite yet. So um, I'm going to uh, cue our, um, our lead out outro uh, music. So if there was something else you had to say, that would be the time. No, I'm good. Just wondering. Okay. Okay. Great. <gasps> Sorry. Well, until next week, everyone, thank you for listening, and make sure you find gratitude and compassion in every day. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Starseed Radio Academy. Visit our website at www.starseedhotline.com.
It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.